0: You are listening to the podcast of the Y Church of the Elk River YMCA in Minnesota. Our mission is to seek Jesus, connect together, and share his love. We're going to turn to scripture now and invite Jill Bush on up to read and meet us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And she's going to take us all the way into chapter 5.
1: who are left until the coming of the Lord, will certainly not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will come down from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet call of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. After that, we who are still alive and are left will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Now, brothers and sisters, about times and dates we do not need to write to you, for you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. So then, let us not be like the others who are asleep, but let us be awake and sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But since we belong to the day, let us be sober, putting our faith and love as a breastplate, and the hope and salvation as a helmet. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live together with him. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up, just as in fact you are doing.
0: Thank you so much, Jill. So we have a great Sunday in store as we now look at the word together. Encouraged by the ending. That's our title for today and our study of these verses in 1 Thessalonians. The ending of a story is important to us. Maybe you've been in the middle of a good book before. I can think of some books like this where you're so excited about it, you kind of sneak a peek at the ending to see, like, is this character still alive or what's going on here? Or maybe you've been watching a show or a movie that just had an epic finale or resolution at the end. We were streaming a movie as a family this past week, and we got to five minutes before the ending, and either the app or our TV just went haywire, and we could not get it to work again. So we saw all of this movie except for the last five minutes, and it was just painful. We're trying and retrying to see what happened. But that's the way that stories are. They build and develop and come to a finish. And we're reminded today that you and I are part of the greatest story that was ever written. The story of how God loves His people, His creation. But it's interesting, I think, in all the things that move us or shape our everyday life, relatively few of us probably wake up in the morning and are thinking about the ending of this story. Even as Christ followers... My guess is that many of us go through our day without ever really pausing and looking up at the sky, at the clouds, and wondering, is today the day that Christ will return? And yet this story and the ending of this story are of utmost importance to everything about us and everything about our future. And so I was thinking this week, why is this? Why don't we actually give it much thought? Maybe it's just that the thoughts are too big. You ever have... You start to think about thoughts that are too big so you back away from them because the realities are just hard to even wrap your mind around. Or maybe it's a sort of functional agnosticism that exists in our part of the world, in our country that affects even the church and so it's just not on our cultural radar. Or I thought maybe it's a misunderstanding of what is really important in life and what's really not and we get distracted by other things. When I was in seminary, I had a, a class with a professor who was in his final years of teaching, and he was one of those that just blew past like ordinary retirement. And so he was, he was quite old, but so astute and articulate. By the time I had him, one of his last classes, in one of the last years of his life, he died in a car accident shortly after that. But in that class, and with this professor, I was under the instruction of who had been a major figure in an area of study called dispensationalism, which is a mouthful. But what it is, is a theological framework for understanding the Bible and how God interacts with people, with His chosen people, at different points in history or different dispensations. So the the actual thing of dispensationalism is beside the point. But I asked a professor recently, that was quite a few years ago now, I asked another professor, I said, hey, whatever happened... To the discussion around dispensationalism. Is it still around? Or what theological issues are students wrestling with? And the professor looked right at me and he didn't miss a beat and he said, The questions aren't theological anymore. They're all around social issues. And so what he was describing is this shift culturally that's happened that students, even in a seminary, are skipping over a biblical framework. They're not starting there with, you know, like, what does the Bible tell us about God? But they skip over it, they don't have it, and they just go straight to whatever the, the social question of the day might happen to be. And he was sharing this with me, and I think recognizing this is a tough place to operate from. You know, imagine in the field of medicine, if there was a doctor trying to triage an injury who didn't actually know how a healthy body functions and didn't have that reference point. But as I thought about this, I thought, here's what I do know. Even though theological priorities are off the table, most everyone will wrestle with this question sooner or later. What happens when I die? Sooner or later in life, we're thinking about that question, and it really comes at the tail end of a series of four questions I've shared with you before. I think questions everyone has to answer, every religion, every worldview, every person without exception, is posed with questions of origin, meaning, morality, and destiny. And here's how we phrase phrased them in the past. Here's the things we wonder about. Where do we come from? What is the meaning of life? What's the difference between right and wrong? And what happens when I die? And it is that last question that we're invited to think about today. The end of the story, or what's sometimes referred to as the end times. Now the challenge is that in the church, at least in our part of the world, we have tended to either fixate on the end times, and maybe you've run into that before, it can get pretty weird and kind of turn into a bit of a circus as the circus is being put up at the fairgrounds, So we either fixate on it and we go all in or we overcorrect and we don't give it much attention at all, which I think culturally is probably where more of us are at today. But what I hope that we are gaining over time is the ability under the guidance of the Holy Spirit to think and to feel from a biblical framework and that our priorities would be set by the things that God would desire for us to think about, the things that we find in His Word. And the Bible has a lot to say to us about this question and about the end of the story. And I think intuitively, we know it's important. So sometimes, somewhere, at least in the dead of night, when you wake up and all these other thoughts are put to rest, we begin to think about this. Well, what happens to me when I die? And we recognize the Bible has a lot to say about this. The Old Testament, the words of Jesus and the Gospels, the letters, which is where we find ourselves today. What I'd like to do in the next few minutes is pick up these two sections of First Thessalonians and move through them from main idea to main idea. So what we won't do today for sake of time and focus is put up a whole bunch of the actual verses on the screen. But instead, I'm going to summarize the teaching And on the screen, you'll see the reference point. And then you and I together with our Bibles open in front of us, we can follow this through the text. And so that said, here's what led to these couple of sections in this letter. When Paul wrote to the Thessalonian believers, he's writing to a young congregation that was struggling with certain questions. In fact, there are clues in the text that suggest that they actually sent a letter to Paul via Timothy, who had visited them. And then Timothy brought this letter back. And the overarching question in this part of the letter that Paul addresses was what happens at the end of the story? And that means what happens when Christ returns? Specifically, and you can see these two sections address this, what about believers who die beforehand, before Christ returns? And secondly, when will it happen? So Paul starts by saying, brothers and sisters, we see that 19 times in First Thessalonians, isn't that amazing? Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death. And what is sleep? It's a euphemism for death that we often find in the Bible. But note how he begins the whole section, he says, we don't want you to be uninformed I have found that death, because I think it involves such strong emotions for us, as we grieve is an area that is rife with misunderstanding. I find pastorally that good, solid theology, a biblical framework, it just kind of goes right out the window often as we grieve. And this shows up in various phrases that we'll find. I'll share in a moment kind of how we respond to this. But here are some of the phrases that we might run into. So-and-so got their wings. Heaven gained an angel. But people do not become angels when they go to heaven. Nor, as far as we can tell from the Bible, do they get a pair of wings, though that would be pretty neat if that happened. But people don't become angels. Angels are separate, created beings, celestial beings. Another phrase that we might often hear, you know, in the midst of loss or grief or a funeral that we attend... So and so is looking down on us. Now, could it be theoretically? It could. I don't think biblically we can rule that out, but we don't have anything in the Bible that would indicate that those who have passed on are watching over our life or the events of the earth. So, there's just a couple examples, and we could name a number of others. Like, do all dogs really go to heaven? Another d- deep theological discussion we could have. But most often, when someone is grieving, and this is very important, because you'll run into these things, and I run into these things, and, and in the midst of grief, what people need is not some theological correction. But it is just a sensitivity to where they're at. And those are moments for extra grace and compassion as we walk through loss. But the case is still true, and that's important when you're not walking through grief to read passages like this, because it will be most helpful to you if you think accurate thoughts about what actually happens in death. And here's why. Here's what Paul says. He says, It's so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. That's the verse. Here's the principle. Here's the principle. When the believer dies, our grief is met with hope. Have you ever been to a funeral or experienced a death that felt hopeless? If you've lived long enough, my guess is you have. A particular example comes to my mind from a funeral I officiated a number of years ago. It was a distant connection. It's not somebody from our community, and and so I feel safe also giving this example. When I met with the family in preparation for the funeral, it became very clear that the person who died was not a believer in Jesus. And I think sometimes the temptation for us is to talk someone into heaven after they have died. Ultimately, only God knows the heart, but there was no indication from this man's own lips Or what I was hearing from his family, that he knew Christ. In fact, quite the opposite. And so I kept his obituary. To this day, it is in my nightstand as a reminder to me that the only reason we have any hope at a funeral is because of what this verse is saying. This verse and many others. When the believer dies, even when it is sudden, Even when it is premature, our grief is met with hope. It doesn't make the grief go away, does it? But it is met with hope. Hope floods in even to the saddest places. Have you been to a hope-filled funeral before? If you have, it's an entirely different experience. In the next verse, Paul gives the basis for that. He says, For just as Jesus died and rose again, so will the believer. Just as Jesus died and rose again, so will the believer. After worship today, at 11 o'clock over at Lake Orono, we're going to have a baptism. And anybody who wants to walk over there is welcome to join us. Now, Bridget Hinkle's parents are here, and they said there's actually another baptism also scheduled over at Lake Orono. So it's going to be a big party. The church in Elk River is getting together. But we're going to have a baptism and it's our friend and sister in Christ, April. April, who will be baptized. She's going to profess her faith and be immersed in the waters of baptism. And it is a picture of being buried with Christ and being raised up to new life. And that's our hope. Our hope is the death and resurrection of Christ. And remember, when the Bible uses the word hope, it's not like I, I hope this is the case. Like wishful thinking, it is a sure and steady promise. And so that's looking back, and now Paul looks forward in verses 15 to 17. He tells us what will happen in the future when Christ comes back, called the second coming. And he says, when Christ returns, and here's the summary of these verses, when Christ returns, these three things will happen. It will be loud and clear, the dead will rise, and we will meet them in the air. Remember what he said. He said, we we don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters. So he's saying, let me tell you. Let me tell you what is going to happen. And this teaching corresponds to other parts of the Bible, especially the book of Revelation. When Christ returns, it will be in power and glory. It will be in this triumphant nature, and you won't miss it. In college, I worked at a Bible camp for a couple of summers where the camp director would wake all of us and all the campers literally with a trumpet. He played the trumpet, and he would walk around and wake us all up that way. It was the most effective alarm clock I've ever had in my life. So one day, the return of Christ will be announced loud and clear. And the dead in Christ will rise first. That's referencing the bodily resurrection. This, this stuff. The bodily resurrection of every believer who has died before the second coming of Christ. So when we die, what, what happens now? Before His return. When we die, we know we are immediately as believers in the presence of God in heaven. There's no waiting game. There's no limbo or purgatory or just laying in the dirt. But immediately, the Bible communicates we're in the presence of God in heaven. But what is it? It's the soul. That's what's there. It's I Describe the soul as like the, the part inside you that makes you you, who God made you to be. That is immediately in the presence of God in heaven. The body stays here for now. It's buried, it decays, or it's cremated, whatever the case might be. But God one day will restore even your physical body. Isn't that something? And you'll have a resurrection body. We kind of get a preview of it in Jesus' body after He rises from the grave. So in the order of things, that's what comes first. And that's what the Thessalonians were wondering about, maybe even distressed about. They were wondering, well, what happens to those who die in Christ before he returns? And here's your answer. And then Paul says, for all those who are still living, if Christ were to return now, for instance, today, after the dead are raised, then we will go to meet them in the air. The text there says, we who are still alive and our left will be caught up together with them in the clouds. And that's referring to something that is often called the rapture. It comes from the Latin translation of that word in Greek, harpazo, to be caught up or snatched up in the air. And you think about this, won't won't this be something? And this is where the thoughts get so big, it's, it's hard to even accurately imagine. But either way, dead or alive, so to speak, either way, the day Christ returns will be an amazing experience and it will be the culmination of all of history. But for some, here's our next principle in the text, the end will come suddenly on an unsuspecting world. So now we're into the second section, aren't we? We're now into chapter 5 where Paul is addressing the timing of all of this. And he says, yeah, people will be walking around totally unprepared. People will be totally satisfied in a sense with how things are going. That's what he means when he says they're going to say peace and safety. I've got nothing to worry about. All my needs are met. I'll think about God another day. Or I have already dismissed Him entirely. And you can imagine that happening, right? I mean, think of what it would be like if Christ returned today, July sixteenth, 2023. Nobody has it on their calendar that's why Paul says that the day of the Lord, when it happens, it will be like a thief in the night. It will come suddenly and some will not be prepared. But he's saying it doesn't have to be that way. You can be ready. And so he says, my summary, believers need not be caught off guard. They live in the light. And you see across these verses this contrasting metaphor between Light and dark, and night and day. And when you trust in Christ, you have the light of the world, so you can see. You get to walk around in the daylight. You can see where you're going. Maybe some of you in your homes, like in the hallway, you have one of those night lights that has the seeing eye on it, the sensor, so that it turns off automatically. And why is that? Because you don't need it in the daytime. That's not when you're going to stub your toe trying to find the bathroom or find a drink of water. As we gather over on the beach at Lake Orno later, April has a powerful testimony as we celebrate her baptism today. We get to meet in a coffee shop and I got to hear it and she's walking in the light. Rescued out of darkness. And now walking in Jesus' marvelous light. And that's where we get to live. So the day of the Lord will not spell disaster, but it will be the fulfillment of everything that we are waiting for. And that has very pragmatic implications. It's a call to action. C.S. Lewis says in his book, Mere Christianity, If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It gets you moving. It calls you into action. So Paul urges us in the next verses. He says, Be awake and sober-minded. Put on the armor of faith, love, and hope. Now, as we're reading this section, it's explicitly military language that he's using, which would have been very familiar in the Greco-Roman world. Now, for us, military language in the church some time ago, fell out of vogue. So when I was still little and in Sunday school, at least at the church I was at, you know, we sang songs like Onward Christian Soldier. You don't really learn those songs anymore. And yet maybe we've overcorrected the other way and not understood the battle that we're in. What's the armor? I mean, if we need correction, let's just look at the text. What is the armor? There's three things that are mentioned. What is the soldier of Christ, to use the metaphor, dressed in? Faith, love, and hope. Those are the weapons of the believer. And we could turn to Ephesians 6. We'd find out even more about the armor of God. And so in this sense, Paul says, Be awake and be sober-minded like the watchman on the wall. Like a good soldier, stand watch. Be prepared for battle because you are in a spiritual battle. And I remind us that we do not commission Tom today to head over to Mongolia because he needs some exotic vacation. We did not meet on the south lawn of the YMCA yesterday and pray over 22 travelers sending them to Germany because every high schooler should have the chance to travel overseas sometime. That's not why we do it. No, we are sending them into the fray of a spiritual battle. We have sent them on a mission. And the stakes are high. We are sending them to push back against darkness. And to bring the light of Christ to Mongolia, to Germany, to Elk River right here at home for the salvation of many. And then we make this observation to close. And maybe you recognize this as Jill read it for us. Twice in this passage, at the end of each section, Paul speaks of encouragement. That word just pops off the page twice in this reading. So we read this passage and you see that there's two things. There's urgency and there's encouragement. He says, be encouraged and build each other up. Martin Luther is attributed to have said there are only two days on my calendar. Today and that day. The day Christ returns. And so I'm asking you to close. If you have that kind of clarity that he had, has your life come into that kind of sharp focus so that the question, what happens when I die, doesn't wake you up in a cold sweat in the middle of the night? Here's our summary for today. Be encouraged by the ending. That's what I hope you've heard. Be encouraged by the ending because here's the answers we were looking for. Number one, the dead in Christ will rise. The grave is not the end of the story. And number two, we live ready for Christ's return. There have been enough times now in my life where I have, with my hand, put the sign of the cross on a forehead that is cold and hard, rigor mortis setting in. But it's not the end of the story. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for leading us by your Spirit into your word. And I recognize, Lord, even for me, these things can sound quite foreign. It's so different than perhaps what awaits us the rest of this day, so far as we know. And I pray, Lord, that something about this text will just be buried in our hearts and minds in a way that is is immediately at hand is so relevant and pertinent Lord there are those among us perhaps not a few who need this word of hope this morning there are those who have buried loved ones even recently and I pray Lord that you would speak your truth and your encouragement into their lives that there is a bright hope For tomorrow, because of Christ. It's in His name that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Y Church Podcast. For more information about the Y Church, check us out online at theychurch.org.